I wonder if you have any pet peeves. If you ever want to lose 30 minutes of your life, you could ask my dad about the positioning of traffic lights on roundabouts. That's the little thing that annoys him a lot. Could be anything. It could be uh, people uh, cutting into the queue on uh, in motorway delays or mobile phones in quiet coaches. Uh, mine, and don't judge me, uh, a little thing that annoys me a lot is when people say things like this. Uh, that's uh, a really uh, unique spot. Or that was quite a unique experience. I'm sorry, I know it makes me a loser to care about these things, but if it's a little bit unique, then it's not unique at all. Uh, unique is unique, it's one of a kind. You can have something unusual, a little bit unusual, very unusual, or unique. Now listen, I don't hate you if you say those things, but I do hate you saying it. Uh, something is either unique or it's not, it's binary. And when we come to consider God, then we need to realise that he is unique. He's in a category all by himself. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to think of God as being like us, but bigger, stronger, uh, cleverer, but basically like us. But the, Bible we, uh, but the God we meet in the Bible isn't just bigger and better than us. He is unique. He's one of a kind. The writer Homer Bavink says that there is no genus to which he belongs as a member. And what does that mean? Well, during lockdown, we've been enjoying watching different birds come into our garden and uh, take the food out of the feeders and all kinds of different birds, blue tits, goldfinches, blackbirds, uh, we get wrens and starlings, all kinds. And they're different. Some are bigger and small, some are smaller, different colours. But they're all based, they're all birds. They're just different birds. What we're saying about God is there's nothing else like him. He is in a category all by himself. And sometimes people will say things like this, well, God can do anything. But what we're looking at in this series is that there are some things that God uniquely can't do. There are some things that he uniquely can't do. And to find out what they are, we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at uh, some of the things that God says about himself, the things that we find when we read his word, the Bible. As we read uh, the stories of uh, God interacting with his people, those narratives reveal truths about God and his character and his nature. And as we see, yeah, God is unique. And the thing that, he, uh, the thing that we're looking at today that he can't do is die. Uh, God cannot die. And that is great news. We're going to look at three perspectives on that and three implications for us uh, as we get to know him better. The first perspective or the first angle on uh, that thing that God can't do, that he can't die, is this, that he is fully 100% independent. He's independent. Uh, that's what we read when we read uh, those verses that we read earlier in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is another title or name for Jesus. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. In him is life. 
later in John chapter 5, we see Jesus saying that, that the Father has life in himself and he's granted the same to the Son. There's no one else like that who has life in themselves. We've been looking at Exodus in our morning meetings and Simon uh, last week shows brilliantly uh, what it meant for God in Exodus chapter 3 to say, I am. That's my name. I am. He's the existing one. There's a word that comes from Latin called aseity or to be ase. It means to be of or from oneself. That's God. He is a hundred percent being. He's never becoming. Again, Bavink writes, he is an immeasurable, an unbounded ocean of being. And if that's who he is, then he's unique. He cannot die. And he is the Lord. There's nothing that can control him or manipulate him or influence him. In Psalm 24, verse 1, we read this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He owns all things. In James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything we possess ultimately comes from him. And as we read Luke's account of the shrewd manager and uh, the, the, the landowner in Luke chapter 12 and Luke chapter 16, we see that not only does everything we possess come from him, everything that we give back to him has come from him in the first place. We can only give him something because he gave it to us first. God is independent. Martin Chemnitz writes, God alone is that which is and what he is. And he is greater, better and more delightful than anything that can be imagined. God is the highest of all than whom nothing greater can be imagined. He is life, wisdom, light, truth, eternal blessing and blessed eternity and all time good. And if that's God, he's unique. It means he is completely without rivals. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he wrote this in chapter 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces, literally those things that are nothing? You see, no one else is what God is. No one else can do what he can do. No one else has what he has. He is without rivals. In the uh, film Lightning McQueen, something that used to be uh, watched over and over again in our household. Uh, Lightning McQueen, I think you can see him there, got loads of these little cars still. Um, ultimately, he become, goes on to become the kind of the undisputed champion. He wins championship after championship. And it looks like he's without rivals, but it's not quite true. There are other cars that race against him. Later on, there's another Pixar film uh, with this character, Dusty Crophopper. Uh, he competes in air races. And it's no good, is it, Lightning McQueen turning up to an air race? He, no matter how big or strong or good he looks, he's not got the right equipment. He's in a, a different category 
altogether. He can't compete. And God is in a different category. Nothing can compete with him. He's unique. He cannot die. He's independent. The second angle or perspective that we're looking at is that God is the creator. Uh, he cannot die because he's the creator. He's the uncreated one. In Revelation chapter 4 and uh, verse 11, we read these words. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things. There's a fundamental distinction in reality between everything on one side that is created, me, uh, this room I'm standing in, the world we're living in, and on the other side, everything that is uncreated. There's only one person on that side, and that is God. He is the one who wills. We are the one, ones who are willed by another. It's uncreated versus created. And as we've seen, if God is the creator, that makes him the owner of everything, of all, including us. If he's the owner of us, then before him, ultimately, we don't have any rights or, or uh, we don't have any right to say, God, you should have done this differently. Or I'd rather this were different in your world. Our morality, ethics, our identity, all are ultimately not discovered or constructed, but given to us by him. He's the uncreated one, the owner of everything. Uh, imagine if you have a bunch of friends around. I know it's hard to imagine just right now in a lockdown. But you have some friends over to watch the football or watch a film or uh, to have a coffee or something. And there's people around and they're in your living room or your kitchen. And they start moving stuff around. They, they move the furniture or they start painting the walls a different colour, a, a deep uh, purple perhaps. You say, hey, what are you doing? You say, well, I don't really like it like this. I prefer this colour. I, I, I prefer it. I'd prefer it if your sofa were over there. Hang on, this isn't your house, this isn't my house. You've got no right to do that here. It's not yours. Well, God is the owner of everything. And ultimately, we live in his house and we are his and everything we touch and possess ultimately belong to him. He is it, it, not just the creator in that sense, but he is therefore immortal, whereas we are mortal. Everything else we have Everything else in this world, given enough time, will crumble. Uh, everything else will pass away, no matter how permanent the mountains look or, uh, or the landscape around us. Ultimately, everything will crumble, return to dust, apart from God, the uncreated one. God is unique and he cannot die. The third perspective, the third uh, angle which we're looking at God uh, and in his uniqueness uh, is that he's eternal. Uh, God is eternal. If he is independent, if he has life in himself and he's the creator, the uncreated one, it means that he's also eternal. Eternal is in, he hasn't got a beginning. He doesn't have an end. And he doesn't have sort of, he doesn't experience kind of progression from one time to another, there's no succession within him. It's so different from us in that respect. We love, don't we, to measure and quantify everything because we're quantifiable in some ways. Uh, there are 799 calories in a big tasty meal. Don't ask me how I know. 
Uh, it's 2.1 miles from this place here where I'm speaking to the McDonald's and the interchange. And it will take nine minutes to drive there. We're limited, aren't we? We're limited by time and, uh, and therefore the things around us can be measured. God is unlimited. You can't measure him. You can't quantify him like that. And as we read the Bible, that's the God we meet in the pages of his word. In Genesis, he creates uh, not just the heavens and the earth, but he creates the day and the night, the, the, the means by which we measure the passage of time. And in 1 Corinthians, uh, we read these words. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. He's been active before time. Uh, Helen Banning, in his book, has a list of uh, everything it means for God to be active eternally. He says this, he is the first and the last, Revelation 1 verse 8, who existed before the world was, John 1 verse 1, and who continues despite all things, Psalm 102. He is God from eternity to eternity, Psalm 90. The number of his years is unsearchable, Job 36. A thousand years in his sight are as brief as yesterday is to our mind, again Psalm 90. He is the everlasting God who inhabits eternity, lives forever and ever, swears by his life and is called the living and enduring God. He is the immortal God, Romans chapter 1, who is and was and is to come, Exodus chapter 3. That's our God. He is eternal. He's not determined or defined or limited by time. God is unique and he cannot die. Now, God can be present in time, but he also transcends time too, which means that he can always act at the right time to do the right thing. Now, I think that's, that's quite um, mind-bending to try and understand. I think... In some ways, the best explanation is, uh, or illustration is one that um, Ray has used in the past, which is that of the author's relationship to the story they're writing. Um, I love these books. This is uh, Patrick O'Brien, and he's written, I don't know, dozens, a lot of these books about um, Captain Jack Aubrey and his adventures on the high seas. Uh, and they're great books, but there's loads of them. And I guess you could say that Patrick O'Brien's characters experience the story in, in a line, in a linear fashion, one event followed by the next. But Patrick O'Brien has got the plot all mapped out in his head. He is present to every part of the story at once. And that's God. He's present at every moment in time at once. But he's not bored or static, um, sort of twiddling his thumbs while nothing effectively happens for him. No, God, we see in the Bible, is eternally enjoying his own abundant uh, and exuberant life whilst he's constantly at work. You see, the three persons of the Godhead are, are constantly at work and relating uh, to one another and enjoying one another. He's more like a, the cheerful worker for whom time seems to fly by than uh, someone stuck in a room watching the paint peel. 
God is unique. He cannot die. And that is incredibly good news. So there's three perspectives, three angles on uh, this way in which God is unique. But let's have a quick look at three implications. Number one, firstly, we don't have anything that God needs. We see there that, as we've seen, when we give back to God, he's not obligated to us because he already owns it. Um, it's really nice, isn't it, when if you've got kids, they give you presents. It's, it's lovely. It's very endearing. And some these are some examples of uh, things that my kids have bought me. These are uh, barbecue claws for tearing apart meat once you've cooked on the barbecue for a long time. I was given these near the start of lockdown, so I haven't really had a chance to use them properly. Uh, there's another favourite, a thermos mug. That gets used quite a lot. And the kids will come up to you and say, oh, Dad, we bought you this. And I'm like, oh, this is so lovely. Uh, and um, but part of me is thinking, yeah, with my money. Um, because that's where they get their money from at the moment. Um, they can't give me anything that my wife and I haven't already given them in one form or another. And if that's true with God, it means we can't bargain with God and we shouldn't try. It's really easy to fall into that pattern of thinking, I think, that God, if I just give you this thing that you need, like if I pray for another five minutes or if I'm really good today, then will you please bless me with what I feel I need or want? But when we think like that, we're tempted to make God something of an equal, uh, someone who effectively would have rivals and say, God, I've got this thing that you need but don't have. And if I give it to you, will you give me what I want? It's actually incredibly liberating to realise that we don't have anything God needs. And we can come to him as little children, as to a father, just relying on his grace and his generosity and his willingness and desire to bless us. We don't have anything God needs. Uh, Secondly, God helps us in our needs. One of the great temptations that uh, we're all faced with is the temptation to forget that we are limited, uh, that we're limited, and uh, to forget that distinction between us as creatures and God as the creator. In Job chapter four, uh, 41 and verse 11, we read this, who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Everything under heaven belongs to God. It's all his. He's the one without limitations. We are limited. And in the garden, what does the snake say, the serpent say to Eve? Do this so that you can become like God. But we are limited. We're limited by time, by space. We're limited by uh, the number of friendships we can have. We're limited by our need to uh, rest, the need for energy. And we have those needs. We have relational needs. We need security, financial, um, mental, emotional security. We need rest. And from time to time we need medical We have so many needs. God has no needs. And yet he helps us out of his grace with our needs. But when we deny or forget that we have those needs and act as if we have no limits, then we get into big trouble. Jen Wilkin, in her book, has a lovely little uh, list, a challenging list of what it looks like when we forget our needs uh, and try to be self-sufficient. 
She says, we avoid Christian community because we neither want nor believe we need any help. We will practice concealment. When we must interact with other believers, we conceal the true state of our lives to preserve our autonomy. We'll try and avoid accountability because we believe the lie that we've got this. We'll become proud. Uh, We'll lack humility because we'll we'll grow in our self-reliance and avoid asking for help when we really need it. And ultimately we'll become exhausted as we try and do things our own way under our own strength. When all the time God is there to help us with our needs. And when we really realise that, when we depend on God as our creator, then we are led to worship. That's what Paul comes to at the end of chapter 11 in Romans when he writes this, for from him and through him and for him are all things, to him be the glory forever. God is unique and he cannot die. And if our understanding of God, what people call theology, knowing God, our knowledge of God must lead to us praising and worshipping God. Otherwise we don't really know him at all. And it's not because he needs our worship like um, a, a needy toddler wanting attention, but because when we worship God, it brings us so much joy. It's like um, if you've ever been in a, in a beautiful natural landscape, in the mountains or uh, by the coast or, or, or somewhere that you find special, uh, and you just enjoy being there because it's a wonderful place. You're not giving anything to that place. That place isn't becoming suddenly better or more wonderful because you're giving it your appreciation. You're just enjoying it for what it is. And the same is true for God. Our worship doesn't add anything to God. It doesn't make him better. It doesn't give him something that he doesn't already have. But we gain immeasurably by enjoying that which is immeasurably great. God is unique. He cannot die. And thirdly, not only does God help us in our needs, but he helps us in our ultimate need. He meets our ultimate need. God is unique and he cannot die, which means that if we put our trust in him, one day we will be called home to be with him for all eternity. Those words again uh, from uh, Deuteronomy. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, destroy them. The last enemy, we read elsewhere, to be defeated is death. That's the hope for those who trust in this unique God. Trusting in him means that our hope, when it's with him, will never die, even though everything else around us ultimately will fade away. The best holiday you've ever had ultimately has to come to an end. That all the things that we enjoy in life ultimately will be taken away from us as our health deteriorates, as we age, as the circumstances around us change. Nothing lasts forever apart from God who cannot die. Jesus' resurrection ultimately is the proof of that. And for all those who trust him, then you are united to him, you're united to this Jesus. 
and all his eternal goodness secured for you for all time. And if you're watching this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then the challenge of Jesus is to face up to your limitations. John wrote in that reading that uh, we read earlier these words, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. If you're born of the unique God who cannot die, then that could be your hope too. The challenge is to submit to him, to, to face up to your the, the reality that we are limited, but I, this God is not, and to trust him. Trust in the unique God who cannot die. After considering some of those things, maybe it'd be good to respond first, uh, again in prayer, and perhaps particularly in confession. So again, let me lead us in prayer as we respond to who God is. Our dear Heavenly Father, uh, we stand back and we are amazed at you. You are the God, uh, the unique God who cannot die, who is independent, uncreated and eternal. And Father, as we consider these things, please forgive us for thinking that we can rival you or compete with you or that we have anything to offer you. Father, please forgive us for denying your ownership over us and seeking to do things our way, thinking we might know better than you. Father, you know uh, all the areas in our lives where that's true. And Father, we come to you uh, and ask for your forgiveness, but we do so confident that whilst you are are just and that you are God and you are unlike us, that you are gracious too, and that you uh, love to offer forgiveness. You love to offer forgiveness and you can do so through Jesus, who has taken the punishment we deserve for all that, the, all those impulses of independence. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are gracious and kind and that in you and in your gospel, we have a hope. I can never die because you can never die. In Jesus' name, Amen.